Bookstuck with Richard Aldous, the Books and Ideas podcast brought to you by AmericanPurpose.com. Don't forget to check our website for all the latest commentary and analysis, and it's where you can find details of our new membership model. Simply go to AmericanPurpose.com forward slash join. Coming up on the show today, Eleanor Herman, author of the new book, Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonizing Women in Power. Eleanor, welcome to Bookstack. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And congratulations uh, on the new book. Uh, And in many ways, misogyny is at the heart of this uh, study. Yes, absolutely. I'm afraid uh, that it's at the heart of our society going back many thousands of years. It's it's everywhere. And I've even discovered some misogynistic traits within myself. It's one of the things that's very striking about the the book is the range of history that you cover. And really, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Cleopatra uh, or contemporary figures, that uh, politics seems to be done in a way that is very different for women uh, than it is for their male contemporaries. Yes, it seems to me that there's, there is a kind of guidebook, I call it the misogynist handbook, that has been passed down for generations, for many thousands of years, probably going back to the dawn of human existence. I, I call this guidebook the misogynist handbook. It's one of those rare books written before the invention of writing, and it's still being used to put powerful women in their place. Some of the tactics include criticizing her for her appearance, uh, for uh, her lack of children or not concentrating on her children enough, on her overweening ambition, on the shrillness of her voice, her untrustworthiness and vague unlikability. The, The same tactics used against Cleopatra were wielded against Hillary Clinton, for instance, in the 2016 US presidential election. Yeah, it's very striking that in your chapter headings, many of those uh, kinds of phrases that you just use there kind of come up. Why doesn't she do something about her hair? The danger of female hormones, the mysterious unlikability of uh, female candidates. Who's taking care of her children and husband? I mean, I think anybody with a with a sense of history can find someone. Margaret Thatcher would be a good example with the, with the last with uh, with the last one, for example, uh, that we can draw examples examples from history uh, who of leaders who've had to undergo this very personal, uh, specifically uh, female criticism of them. That's right. It's it, Men rarely, if ever, um, get criticized for these, these same things. Um, so it's, it's really quite uh, unfair. And we're not, <clears throat> pardon me, we're not talking about policy here. Um, It's not about, for instance, Hillary Clinton's policy on the Mexican border uh, or international relations or anything like that. It's it's criticism of the width of her hips. She was um, vilified for having fat ankles, um, a shrill or harsh voice. I mean, anyone who's heard Donald Trump rant and raid in that horrible monotone, why did he never get his voice criticized. And I do think he's been wearing the same baggy blue suit for seven years, yet women are are harshly criticized for for what they wear routinely. And one of the questions that you ask early on is, is misogyny in our DNA? What, What conclusion did you come to? You know, I'm not a scientist. I, I, I would say it is certainly in the human 
consciousness. We, we pass it down. It's imbued in, in everything. I think it's in the air we breathe. So it's, uh, it's going to be difficult to eradicate it totally. Uh, I'm hopeful. I know that things are uh, usually improving, though in this country we seem to be going back a, a little bit. Um, but it, it is going to be maybe impossible to completely eradicate misogyny. It's based on bio biology, which is not going to change. You uh, mentioned uh, Hillary Clinton there. A, a lot of the book, uh, I, I sensed that at least that a lot of the book seemed to stem from your personal reaction to the 2016 election. Would, was, was that one of the inspirations for writing this book in the first place? It was the inspiration. As a matter of fact, um, about three years ago, I started reading a biography of Cleopatra by Stacey Schiff. And I I noticed that what the, the leaders of the very patriarchal Roman Republic did to take down Cleopatra, the most powerful woman and the most wealthy woman of the ancient world, um, was eerily similar to what had been done to Hillary Clinton in the uh, election. I call her a depraved sex monster. I mean, Clinton had been uh, accused of having a, a pedophile uh, ring under a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C. And, and the Roman Republic leaders did the same things with Cleopatra. She had sex with hundreds of men a, a, a day, uh, criticized her for, for spending on clothing. Crit you know, all of these same kind of things have been going on. Um, when, when I realized that there were similarities um, to, to these two women 2,000 years apart, I sat in my chair and started thinking about other women Anne Boleyn, Marie Antoinette, um, Catherine the Great and the horse story, so very many women. And they had all been, been criticized using the same smear tactics. And I guess the difficulty with this kind of thing is always how we disentangle misogyny from, I mean, if we take the example of that 2016 election, I think even Hillary Clinton's supporters would, would concede that uh, perhaps she wasn't the best campaigner in that election. Um, how, how do you disentangle the kind of uh, perhaps a candidate who wasn't as, as agile as she might have been with the clear example? examples of misogyny that you've been talking about? That's an excellent question. And it's one I worked hard on while writing the book to, to answer myself. Uh, for one thing, Hillary Clinton's um, ankles or the size of her hips have nothing to do with whether she's a good candidate or not. You don't, you don't need to be discussing that kind of thing. Um, another uh, answer I came up with <laughs> to deciding what is really misogyny and what is, you know, what, what is not, so that my head didn't explode, is to change the genders of the, uh, the gender of the individual involved and, and look at it from that way. And then it becomes really clear if it's misogynistic. So I want to give you a few examples um, that I had uh, have in my book. They were written about women candidates but I changed the gender and I want you to tell me if they sound ridiculous, okay? All right, so here's one. Men who are sweet, cheery, and non-confrontational will be rewarded. I mean, that doesn't sound right being said about a, a man, right? He should show a little modesty. He's too bitchy, humility is not one of his strong points. 
Unbelievable. In the same week, he wore the same suit twice. He doesn't have the right sort of body to be on TV. He should smile a lot more. And there are dozens more, but let's end with my personal favorite, which is he launched his political career in the bedroom by sleeping with a powerful woman. What do you think? Yeah, and 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 certainly I know on the one of the early ones there, if it, if it came to wearing the same suit twice in a week, that that is not a test that I would ever pass. Um, <laughs> but 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 yeah, I mean, so I mean, how how do we move the kind of the rhetoric beyond that that kind of thing, Eleanor? I think the first thing is to realize that there is a problem. You know, having been raised inhaling misogyny in our religion, our fairy tales, I mean, look at Cinderella being rescued by the prince and all that, um, our, our literature, our news media, it, it's, it's hard to really understand that it's everywhere. You know, because it's everywhere, it seems sort of invisible to us. So. I'm hoping that my book will just open people's eyes to at least see that, yeah, there is a problem. It's unfair to keep 50% of the human population down by criticizing them for these, these stupid things. And let's, let's try to move the conversation forward. Um, I was gratified to see in the 2020 election, a lot of um, American women's political organizations came out with uh, anti-misogyny media guides. And they ask questions such as, uh, are you punishing women and celebrating men for doing the same thing? For instance, women are criticized for being ambitious and men are applauded. Are you putting too much emphasis on appearance? Uh, are you focusing on weight loss or gain, uh, hair and makeup? Are you telling a candidate to smile? Well, that's only reserved for, for women. Um, are you commenting on her attractiveness? Are you calling a black woman angry? Uh, many such guides as this, I think, did have an effect on the uh, media coverage of the 2020 election. Um, there's another thing, which is shaming the shamers. When uh, people feel so inclined to go out on social media and harass and viciously critique uh, women candidates, you know, um, Hillary Clinton, Julia Gillard, Prime Minister of Australia, for instance, would just politely wave it away, not dignify it with a response. And they both admitted that was a mistake. So the, the candidates themselves, as well as their supporters, men and women included, should shame the shamers, should take them down for behaving that badly. Yeah, I'd, I was very struck by that example of Julia Gillard that, that you provide in the book, the former Australian Prime Minister, that you know her argument out of office was that precisely this, that you need figures from outside politics to weigh in. Uh, this, after all, was a, was, was a politician who would uh, go, go around and see signs describing her as the, quote, the witch bitch. Right. The, the words witch and bitch are solely reserved for women. They're, they're extraordinarily sexist. And she, she, she got the worst uh, misogyny that, that I had seen, even worse, I think, than, than Hillary Clinton. I mean, they criticized her for everything she wore, uh, her accent, her voice, her laugh the size of her earlobes. It, it was really ridiculous. And, and oftentimes there were women doing it to her. 
So how is that? How is this different then to the way that uh, that men are uh, described in politics? For example, I mean, you mentioned uh, Donald Trump. There's there are often comments made about his hair, about the colour of his uh, of his uh, tan, of, um, about his weight. Uh, with Joe Biden, there are kind of often uh, comments made about the way that he speaks. So uh, if he falls off his bicycle and uh, and so on, what's the what's the difference between the two? Is it just that if you're in politics, you have to have a very thick skin um, and get on with it? Or is it, what is it that's, that's different between the experience uh, of uh, th those male politicians and their female counterparts? I think it's clearly true that anyone in politics has to have a thick skin. Um, uh, in addition to the mainstream media, there's social media, which is going to take you down for just about anything they, they can think of. But I also think that you know, if a man is a reasonable weight, dresses reasonably, he is not going to be vilified, derided and belittled to the level that a, a woman would be, even if she had the same political experience, the, the same policies that she was planning to enact. It's, it's just far more vicious and nasty with women. And do you do you think that this is a, a I mean a particularly American thing? For example, Europeans and South Asians don't seem to have as much problem with female leaders. Margaret Thatcher, Indira Gandhi, Angela Merkel, for example, dominated their eras in in politics. They did, and and they were they did not suffer as much at the hands of it. I don't know if it was because of certainly in the case of you know Golda Meir and. Um, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf uh, of Liberia, uh, Indira Gandhi, and I, I mean, they're were, they were completely different cultures. Um, Thatcher was criticized for her voice, and she actually went for, for voice lessons. She was uh, criticized for being scolding uh, like, a, like a headmistress. It sort of was like water's, water off a duck's back with, with uh, Thatcher. Um, but certainly there is misogyny in the UK to, to a large extent. I mean, you talk about misogyny, but then on the other hand, uh, the uh, Liz Truss is the is the third prime female prime minister that Britain has had. Her deputy uh, Therese Coffey is is obviously as a woman too. So the, it is the kind of more sense in kind of European politics. Do you think perhaps of uh, of women being able to to dominate politics in that way? Well, it seems to be, especially when you look at the U.S. Uh, track record. Um, though certainly th there's still misogyny when they do get um, into the, the top positions. Theresa May was um, criticized for her mystifying lack of children. Does that mean she's selfish and unloving? Her it should be pointed out, actually, that she was criticized by another woman when she was running uh, yes, for candidate. Yes. And, and so much so that, that that woman subsequently withdrew from the competition. Yes, yes, that that is in the book as well. And and May was criticized for being, you know, too robotic in her way of speaking. She she apparently wasn't warm and feminine enough. But but female politicians um, who do show uh, emotion while speaking are then criticized for being weak and uh, a hormonal mess. Uh, her showy footwear was was always in in the press. So, so yeah, it, it's out there, but at least in the UK, you're now on uh, prime minister number three. 
so good for you. So, and and what do you think about the 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 likelihood of there being a, a, a woman American president? Obviously, Kamala Harris is currently uh, the vice president. What have you made of her experience uh, in that role? Uh, there has been some criticism of the way in which she's done the job. Is that about competence, or is that about misogyny, or are we back to this problem of trying to disentangle the two? Um, I think that problem's always going to be there. I think in some cases, misogyny against Kamala Harris uh, was quite clear. For instance, within hours of Joe Biden announcing his selection of her as his VP pick, memes sprouted all over social media in this country that um, it, it was Joe and the hoe, that she was a, a whore, a slut. Why? Because in 1995, she had had a, a relationship for a year or so with Willie Brown, who was a, a powerful uh, politician in California. Now, he was technically still married, but he and his wife had been uh, legally separated for 13 years, and I, I believe they still are. Um, and, and so let's call her a hoe. You see what they did to her that nothing had nothing to do with her experience, with her policy or plans for the country. Now, um, finally, Eleanor, the the book has come out um, in the context of the death of Queen Elizabeth the the second. Um, what have you made of the the reaction uh, to her death, and and where do you think that where does she fit into this broader discussion of women uh, who occupy important positions? You know, last week, shortly after the Queen's death, I was doing a, a radio interview and the interviewer asked me the same question. And for once in my life, I was completely stumped. I didn't know what to say. I was thinking about Queen Elizabeth, misogyny, sexism. No, like just just no. It seems that she she transcended it. And and I try, I've been sitting here trying to figure out why. I, I think Part of it was that she was politically neutral. She's a hereditary monarch, not an elected official. So, so she was never required to take a position on taxes, unemployment, immigration, or any of those things. You know, as a matter of fact, the queen saw her role as specifically not doing so. So there was no reason to lob sexist smears at her like hand grenades to punish her for her political opinions. Um, one other thing about her, is that she, her feelings remained a cipher. You know, it's not that she was unfeeling. Um, clearly her children's shenanigans and divorces uh, hurt her, but, but she never confessed her victimhood and her upset to, to Oprah or to the BBC. She, she was just admirably discreet, self-possessed, a stiff upper lip. She was this unique figure in, in history, so admirable, so dignified, that I think she transcended misogyny. I, I, I suppose the only thing kind of in regard to that is that kind of earlier on in her life, there were sometimes criticisms that perhaps she wasn't motherly enough, that exactly those admirable qualities that uh, you, you talked about there, many did say, why isn't she warmer towards her children? Why, why isn't she more outward going, show her emotions more? So, you know, I, I, I guess that, you know, really uh, to perhaps uh, this time, it's not quite right to say that she had the last laugh but at the by the end by the end of her life she was accepted on her own terms i, I wonder if there if there is definitely a lesson to be taken uh, from that 
Well, I think when um, a woman reaches the grandmotherly stage, which um, Elizabeth has been in for, for many decades now, there is less to criticize. When you look at uh, Golda Meir, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, they were these, these grandmotherly figures that we look to for, for comfort, for, for continuity. And Elizabeth II had been a grandmotherly figure for so many decades. I, I think that, that that also transcends misogyny lobbed at younger women. So as a last question, Eleanor, do you do you feel that there is a kind of a, a slow sense of progress that we are inching in the right direction, that with more women coming into politics, that we will be able to talk less and less about misogyny? To put it kind of at its most basic level, do you feel more hopeful about the, the political discourse to come? I am hopeful. For one thing, I'm hoping hopeful that that um, that things will continue to improve, as you mentioned, by getting more women elected. You see, we often say a a female senator, a woman MP, and the fact that you have the adjective of gender before the position means that this is not the norm. That, that this is an oddity, a curiosity. And so I'm hopeful that in coming years, more and more women will be elected. And so you'll no longer need to use that, that adjective of, uh, of being an oddity. They'll, they'll just be accepted. And that will be a, a wonderful improvement over where we have been. So the book is Off With Her Head, 3,000 Years of Demonising Women in Power. It's written by my guest, Eleanor Herman, and published by William Morrow. But for now, Eleanor, congratulations again, and thanks for joining us on Bookstack. Thank you so very much. So that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check our website, AmericanPurpose.com, and to leave us a review on your podcast app. The show is produced by Damir Marusek. Do join us again next week. But for now, this is me, Richard Aldous, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>